0: This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 12. Join me in prayer. Abba, Father God, we come before you today as your body, your bride, seeking your word to bring us your truth, your wisdom, your guidance, and correction. This verse reminds us that we cannot do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to lead us, moment by moment, day by day. So today, we now ask that you join our hearts as one, so we may hear your truths and apply them to our lives. May hearts be transformed, may we understand how to love in fresh, new ways. And today, as we acknowledge Pastor Appreciation Day, we are grateful for Justin and Greg, two men whom you called to this body, whom each bring a passion for Salt Lake City and your word. Thank you for their faithfulness to your calling and to this body, and to our elders, Krish, Josh, and Wes, each with a gift they faithfully use to serve us. Thank you for their families and their willingness to share their time and energy. We thank you for our leaders, and we now ask that you would speak through Justin as we read your word together. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pam. John 15, 12. One verse today. Right? We can do this. We're going to cover a lot more than the one verse. But uh, this is where we're going to land today of what it looks like to have immeasurably more love. This is our final message in our immeasurably more series. Uh, You're going to hear more about Immeasurably More as we go. This is not just a uh, sermon series, but really uh, a desire and heart and a plea of our church and a hope of our church that we desire to see God to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Next week, we're going to start... Uh, series on the book of First John. So we're going to be spending the remainder of the year in the book of First John, uh, walking back through verse by verse. It's going to be a great journey, and uh, I'll introduce that next week. Um, and maybe just by way of a few announcements, kind of catch you guys up to speed. For, for those of you who are here walking in this morning, uh, we're actually moving into a new space, and uh, we're excited about that new space. Things are coming along well. Uh, we Received word back from the city this week that all the permits have been finalized. Uh, So they are uh, going uh, 100 miles an hour. Uh, The entire building has been framed out, and so every all of our classrooms, all of our worship auditorium space, meeting rooms, all of that has received framing. They're doing electrical this week, and uh, we'll start sheetrock. And I told you last week I'm very impatient, right? And so. uh, I have hopes that it's gonna be done before Thanksgiving and you can pray with me to that end, right? And uh, I, I told somebody last week, however quick it does get accomplished is the quickest it can get accomplished, all right? And because we are, are really pushing and driving and really uh, making every means possible to try to figure out like, they're, they're going, well, there, there's no doors to be found. And I'm like, well, let's go buy doors off of some other business, you know? And uh, So we'll figure it out, and, uh, but uh, we're excited to, to see that come to fruition. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be gathering right after our Sunday gathering for our first ever Join in the Family luncheon, and so uh, if you're interested in joining the Ecclesia family officially, uh, we're going to be launching that next week. There's three times, I think, in the, the fall here that we're going to be doing that, uh, all of those are on the Ecclesia app, and you can register there on your Ecclesia app, and uh, so would encourage you to do so. We're we're really talking about the Ecclesia family this morning, what it what it looks like for us to love the way Jesus has loved us, to be in community with one another. And this has been a drive of mine and a, and a passion of mine since we launched Ecclesia. I remember in 2011 hearing a message by Pastor J.D. Greer of Summit Church talking about what it looks like to love the way John 15, 12 describes that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is Jesus speaking. And I remember hearing him preach that sermon in 2011. That was about two to three years before we moved here and saying, I desire to be a part of a community that loves that way that extends grace that way, that they care for one another in that way, they encourage one another in that way, and it just became a drive to to want and desire to be known, a desire to be loved, a desire to be accepted, a desire to, to place that we could love, that we could serve, that we could accept people into that type of community, and so for me, uh, that message really kind of became a banner of, of what we were seeking to do when we planted Ecclesia, And so we, we kind of brought that value into what does it look like for us to be a better family? And that's kind of one of our values that we talk about a lot is is being the, the better family. And one of our dreams that we casted even here recently as we talked about our 10 dreams of a, as a church, we said, we dream of a church family that makes much of the gospel and seeks to follow Jesus together through knowledge of the Bible. And when we talk about family, a community, a family that loves one another, a family that is practicing the one another's, a family that is together, uh, I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this idea of family. He says, we are brethren because in Christ we are all in one family. And hence, it is that we are called to a new kind of love. A love which is like the love of the brothers of the same house, only more sublime. This is the better family. And with a better reason lying at the bottom. And I love that. That's what this family is meant to be. And maybe if you're here this morning and you come from maybe a broken family, the idea of family is not appealing and you've you've been hurt by family you've you've experienced the the destructiveness or the brokenness of of, of family life and and so to enter into family and and to, to to kind of brings up hurt kind of brings up pain and the desire in and the body of Christ is that we would resemble love in this room the way Christ has loved us We read John 15, 12, but what's interesting is in John 13, 34, we hear a similar passage. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And it's interesting, if we go back to John chapter 15, we we read this passage again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then right after that, in verse 18, he talks about the hatred of the world. Now, I find that it's interesting that he's talking about that there is a love to be experienced in the church, but then immediately goes into this idea of talking about that there's going to be hatred in the world. John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What's interesting, in John's gospel, the, the, the word world is used over 78 times. In fact, in, in chapter 14 alone, you will see it almost every other verse. The world, the world, the world, the world. And then he talks about the love that is in the church, the love that is in the church, the love that is in the church. And it's this idea, this picture, that the church is meant to be a place of refuge, a place of restoration, a place of rest, a place of recuperating for mission, so that when we go out, and we go out in the world, we, we come back to a place of rest and recuperation and, and revive. and this is the place where we find that sense of refuge, my question to you is, has the church been that for you? And if I'm honest with you this morning, that hasn't always been the case. I don't necessarily know that I've looked at my church family in previous context as a place of of refuge, a place of security, a place of Coming together, of, of, of experiencing the love of Christ in that body. I mean, it was a place I attended and then went on about my life. And my heart and my desire is for our church. And I think it's a relevant theme for today when we look at the brokenness and divisiveness of our world. Is going, what has Christ called us to be as the church? What has he called us to do as the church? And what's interesting about this commandment, when we read what what Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, loving one another is not a new commandment. It's the measure in which you love that is new. It's love in the way that I have loved you. It's, it's the, the depth of that love that is new. It is the, it is the depth of his, his calling. The new commandment in that passage is not only to love, but to love as Christ has loved us. So, the question that we must ask ourselves, and the, where I really want to start, is how has Jesus loved us? If we're going to be faithful to. John 15 12 and John 13 34 to love as Christ has loved us we need to know how Christ has loved us what's interesting in this if we go and we're going to be covering the book of first John here in the next few few months and weeks in first John chapter 4 verse 10 it says this this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And what's interesting in all of this is John understands the logic of precedence. What he basically says is without a prior life-consuming experience of God's love for us, we will be singularly ill-equipped to love anything or anyone else. It is impossible for us to love one another without experiencing the immeasurably more love of Christ. And so our desire through this entire series has been to help you get a vision and catch a vision for how much God loves you and cares for you and his passion for you and his pursuit of you. And that God loves you, he's poured out his love on you And when we embody that, when we experience that, that enables us to love one another. But how does Jesus love us? The first thing I want you to see is he served us. He served us. He served the disciples. In John chapter 13, 34, where we read this passage that you are to love one another as Christ has loved us, John chapter 13 is all about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now what's interesting is washing of someone's feet was common practice at at this time. They wore sandals. They walked dirty roads. They came into the home, and the first thing that was to be done was the lowliest servant in the household would take up a basin, would take up a towel, would come, and you can imagine filthy feet. And they would humble themselves and they would get down on their knees, and he would begin to wash their feet and wipe their feet and take the towel and rinse their feet. And this would be a practice, not just for the lowliest servant, but for Jesus. Jesus would serve them, Jesus would humble himself. What's interesting is we ask, why would Jesus serve them in this capacity? It's not because he needed them. It's not because he he had anything to necessarily gain from them. He called them, he made them fit to be used, he equipped them. But he did this to serve them, to love them. He humbled himself. I ask you the question how has Jesus served you? And I would just point you to the cross that Jesus would humble himself to the point of death, that he would go to the cross for you, for your sins, for your forgiveness. He would take your punishment upon himself. He would serve you in that capacity because he loved you. So we see that Jesus loved them by serving them. Jesus also leveraged his abilities for their needs. We see all throughout the gospel accounts Jesus leveraging his abilities for their needs. We think about in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now wouldn't it be awesome to have a friend that has the gift of multiplication? Right? Hey, we don't have enough of this. And he's like, well, just give me a little bit. I can multiply it, right? So we take a few loaves of bread, a few fish, And he feeds 5,000. This is a great friend to have around. Someone who's able to, to multiply, someone who's able to use his abilities to serve the needs of people. He would leverage his abilities to meet their needs, he would share in their pain and sorrow. We read about the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. What I find fascinating about this text is is that Mary and Martha come to, to Jesus in the early chapter here of John chapter 11. And Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows that that there is going to be a moment here that he's going to see Lazarus rise from the dead, but yet he still mourns and weeps with his friends. I find that fascinating. Because even though he knows that death is not going to be the end, he still experiences that pain and that loss with them. It's where we, we read the simple verse in John eleven thirty five 35 that Jesus wept. We see Jesus' compassion in his heart taking on their, their pain, taking on their sorrow, taking on their sadness. When he looked upon a city says he he was broken, he had compassion for them. Jesus experienced emotion and brokenness, and it tells us that what we're walking through, that Jesus knows, that Jesus cares, that Jesus has sympathy for you, that every pain that you have experienced in life, Jesus is aware of it. Jesus loved them by living among them. Jesus didn't stay far off. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, coming, taking on The ordinary, mundane nature of mankind, walking through life just like you and I, spending the ordinary day with the disciples. He lived amongst them, He worked, He experienced life. What I love about this, and particularly in our time, Jesus isn't into social distancing, He came close. He got dirty. We read about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And Jesus crossed so many different social barriers, economic barriers, to come near to this woman, to draw near to this woman, so that she would know the good news of Jesus. Jesus comes near. And Jesus bridged the gap to get to them. Every single person that Jesus walked with in the gospel accounts that we read about, they are so unlike him. They are so different from him. But Jesus' nature, he comes along. He went to bridge the gap to call them family. And he was patient with them. How many times the disciples asked the same question over and over and over again? And Jesus kept answering over and over and over again. Jesus was patient. In John chapter 13, the this, this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we see that Jesus doesn't just tell them in word, I love you but he demonstrates it for them. He gives them this tangible picture. In the same way, Jesus doesn't just tell you, church, ecclesia, that he loves you, but he demonstrates it for you by going to the cross, that you would experience his love. What's interesting is one commentator says, this is what often characterizes the lives of, of people who have given themselves to profound acts of Christian service around the world. The story of their pilgrimage begins with an overwhelming encounter of God's goodness, which never fades for them. And this is precisely what Jesus has done. He has given his disciples a concrete image, a concrete experience, no less of what it means to be loved. I'm sure that this experience of being washed led to remarkable later reflections on what it meant to be saved after Jesus had died on Calvary. It's this picture that Jesus would, would pour out his love on us, that, that they would experience this overwhelming encounter with God's goodness, that that would have a profound impact on them, and because of it, they would go and love one another in that way. And so the question is, is how do we take those same things that we just talked about? If we read John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. If this is the way Jesus has loved us, then if we were to take an inventory, how are we loving one another? And my, my, my hope and desire this morning as we kind of bring this to a close is, is going, I want us to experience the immeasurably more love of the Father for you and I so that this room would be central, like the, that love would be central, that we would experience that type of love and grace and compassion for one another in this room. So in the same way that Jesus has served us, here's the question. Are you serving others? Who are you serving? We're not to love one another because of what we get from one another, but rather because of the good we can do to one another. How many times we walk in the door and we go, what can this family do for me? And how seldom do we ask, what can I do for this family? What can these people do for me? And what can I do for these people? We're called to serve the church family. The reality is we should have like depths and depths and depths of people waiting to get in line to serve in volunteer positions not because it's a passion of yours, I don't necessarily look at the life of Jesus and go, you know what, I have the gift of of feet washing. I don't know that Jesus did, but Jesus saw a need and he met it. It's not always because we're the most gifted to do that task or that we feel called to do that task. It's that we see a need and we meet it. And my question is, is are we looking around in the body of Christ right here that we call our family and asking how can we serve one another? I think about when I first came to faith in Jesus, immediately the natural desire of anyone who comes to faith in Jesus is the way in which Christ has loved me and I experience, I... I want to show that love to the world i want to show that love to my brothers and sisters in christ so most naturally the people who are most faithful at serving in the local church are new converts to faith in jesus they've experienced the reality of the love of jesus and they go i i want to give that love away and and that was me as someone who just graduated high school was walking into college I got involved in my college ministry, and I'm like, I wanna serve. Now, thankfully, they didn't give me like an upfront, like, hey, yeah, you should teach on Wednesday night, right? No, that was for their protection and for my good as well. And so, what what was I doing? It was the obscure work of taping down cords. Yeah, like these guys. Taping these down so that you don't trip on them. And so I would come on Wednesday night at 4.30 and have a big long roll of gaff tape and my first role in serving the kingdom of God and serving my church family was taking a piece of tape, stretching it out all the way across the room, just like it's done over there, and taping down cords all across the room. Was I gifted in that? I don't know. I thought I did a pretty good job. Did I feel called to that? I didn't necessarily feel called. I was just honored to be able to serve. And God, throughout the years, gave me more and more opportunity to step in. But it was a need, it was a need that needed to be met. I was eager to jump in and serve. Are you eager to serve the body of Christ? Are you eager to jump in and get your hands dirty and humble yourself and serve in some type of capacity that makes a difference? I can tell you right now, there are people every single week here at Ecclesia that you will never know of, that, that you may never see them get here early that you may never see them like actually get their hands dirty, but they're sweeping the floor, they're setting the chairs, they're making the coffee, they're and they're doing it because of their desire to, number one, serve the Lord, but their love for you. They're people that I, that I look to and on Sunday morning when I walk out, I make sure to go and say, thank you. Because no one else sees them. God sees them. But they're eager to serve, and they serve out of the love the Father has for them. Are you serving others? That's what it means to be family. That's what it means to love one another as Christ has loved us. Are you leveraging your life for others? We think about Jesus using his abilities, his gifting, his passion to serve his disciples, to serve the people that were following him. How are you leveraging your abilities for the good of others? We've talked about what do you have, your shape, it's an acronym, spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. You've been shaped in a certain way. God has shaped you in a way to use that shaping, that heart, that passion, those abilities, that personality, the experiences that you've experienced to use those for the good of others. You've been given those as as someone to steward those resources. There are things that you personally own that you're called to steward, to serve, to bless. I remember early on in the life of Ecclesia, we would kind of gather our community groups and we would take an inventory, an inventory of our assets, abilities, and accomplishments. And we would say, What does Justin Bindle have that I can leverage for the good of our community? And then you would be there, and you would say, like, hey, what does Steve Goldring have that he can leverage for the good of the community? What does Britton Lewis have that he can leverage for the good of the community? What does Pam Sams have that she can leverage for the good of the community? And in many ways, those were ways in which we can bless others. So I think I'm like, I know how to make great barbecue, right? Right? Have I leveraged my ability to make barbecue to serve you? I hope so, and if you haven't, you should come over to my house. We we should get together, right? I know how to help people get fit. If you wanna work out, you should come to my house. We'll have a good time. If you don't wanna work out, you should come to my house and we'll force you to, right? I can lift heavy things. So, like, if you're moving, you, you can call me, right? you have a refrigerator that needs to be moved I'm I'm good at moving heavy large objects I can do that right and you're like well these things don't seem very important they do for the person who has a large refrigerator that needs to be moved right one of you has been like you're forced if you're like my wife she gets forced to help me do things that she never wanted to right and she's like would you call a friend you know we all need a friend that can move heavy things It's funny, when we started uh, Ecclesia, we had missional communities and we thought that that stood for MCs, stood for moving company because that's all anyone ever did, right? So if you had people that could move heavy things, then you would call them. Um, I've been a dad, I've been a husband, I've been a friend. These are the experiences the Lord has given me. And I believe that I'm qualified to, to speak on those. I believe that I can give sound counsel from God's word, and so if, if there's decisions that you're needing to make, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to give you wise counsel from the word of God. I have a backyard in my home that I love to, to invite people and serve. I'm, I'm just asking you, what are the things that you have, that you own, that you possess, that you could leverage, for the good of serving others. This is what Jesus did. This is what it looks like for us to love the way Christ loved us. Are you sharing in the pain of others? Think about Jesus with the story of Lazarus. We see his brokenness. My question is, is, do you even know what's going on in the life of others? How many of us have people that we can look across the room and we actually know what they're walking through? We know the struggles that they're experiencing this week. We know the sorrow, the pain, the difficulties, the loneliness, the isolation. There's a sense in which, as the community, it it takes time to feel like You can trust someone with that information. Do you have people you can trust? This describes a a closeness. This describes this this picture of of a family. This requires us to get involved in people's lives. I can tell you over the last week We have been with families that have experienced brokenness. We have been with husbands and wives who have experienced brokenness in their marriage. We've been with people who have experienced loss in their family. We've been with people who have experienced loneliness. We have been with people who feel like they're in isolation I sat across the table from a dude this week and I said who are your friends In tears just rolled down his face cuz he doesn't have anyone Who are those people Who do you have that you can share the depths of your soul with? Who is the family that knows the pain and the sorrows that you're walking through? Who are the people that are coming to you? Are you that type of friend to others? As Jesus came near, are we drawing near to people? Are we involved in people's lives? Are are we close enough to feel their pain? Are we investing in people? Are relationships of value to us? Can I be honest this morning and say, I can't tell you how many times someone has stepped out of the Ecclesia family and didn't tell anyone? Like, we just see them around the city, and I'm like, hey, dude, where have you been? And they're like, oh, you know, like, we're going to another church, or like, oh, we, we haven't. And I'm like, what a terrible picture of, of what the family of God is meant to be. That we just see church as a, as a consumer good, something that's just to be possessed. I mean, can you imagine, think about your own intermediate family, your immediate family, And just be like, if you just decided to step out of the family, would that be awkward if you just quit coming to family dinners? Imagine how awkward it would be if my wife got a call from me after three days of my disappearance and be like, yeah, I just don't think I'm going to come home anymore. It's awkward. And it's not a picture of what the family of God is meant to be. Like, Justin, you sound hurt by this. Yeah, I am. Because my desire and the heart that I want to see our community be is a family that loves and cares one another. That if there's a reason in which, like, hey, we're stepping out, that we talk about that. Which is one of the reasons why we said, hey, we want a formal initiation into the family. Because we don't want to just assume that you're in. We want to know that you say, hey, I'm committed and I'm I'm committing to take responsibility. I'm committed to live out these family values. I'm committed to love one another and serve one another as Christ has loved us. Are you involved in people's lives? Do people know you? Are you bridging the gap to get to others? I know when you look across the room, there's probably numerous people that are nothing like you, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. One of the joys of the body of Christ is that we're united because of the blood of Jesus and nothing else, which means it doesn't matter your economic upbringing it doesn't matter your status, social status, your class, your race, your gender. There's a sense in which like the, bro- the blood of Christ unites us and brings us together, that it is an equal, like none of us deserved the blood of Jesus, and Jesus bridged the gap for each of us to come. None of us deserved, but he bridged the gap. My question is, is, are we reaching across whatever barriers exist? They might not share the same love for barbecue or CrossFit, but Jesus unites us. There is a unity that exists. And what's interesting is it tells us in God's word that this type of love is contagious. And it actually gives awareness that we're actually disciples of Jesus. If we read the next verse, John 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John 13, 34, Jesus tells the disciples this is a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. He goes on in verse 35 and he says, by this, By this type of love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the commentators that I read said this, and I found this fascinating. Among all of those who are to know that we are Christ's disciples, there is one very important person, and that is yourself. If you have love towards Christ's disciples, you will know that you are one of his disciples isn't that a great test that if you look and you go i'm serving people in this body i'm committed to people in this body i'm i'm leveraging my goods my resources the abilities the talents all the things for the good of this body i'm giving to this body i'm serving this body i'm mourning with this body I experienced the pain of this body, the sorrow of this body, the joy of this body. If that's you, then you're truly a disciple of Jesus. If it's not, then I think it, the text lends us to really question whether or not we're truly disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, love one another as Christ has loved us. Before I moved here to plant Ecclesia, I found myself in Houston, Texas. I was there. I was at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, which is about a 24,000-member church pastored by Ed Young, Sr., And Ed Young Sr. asked a question, there was about 20, 30 pastors in the room, and he said, what is it, and if anybody can answer, you know, you, you win this prize, whatever, I don't know what it was, but he said, what is it that caused Christianity to spread like wildfire in the early church? And there were great answers all across the room. Like, well, how about the coming of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, absolutely. That probably contributed. The Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost contributed definitely because it empowered believers. That dynamite power of the Holy Spirit living amongst people, like it would empower, it would send them out absolutely. And what's interesting is he began to talk about a plague that that hit the early church. And I've shared this with you before, but I found Charles Spurgeon quoting his description of this event. And I want to share that with you this morning. In, In the book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark writes about a plague that hit the early church. And the way Christians cared for other Christians is really what set the early church to spread like wildfire. Charles Spurgeon says this, let me tell you of a remarkable instance of this. In the early days of Christianity, a terrible pest broke out in Alexandria. It was very dangerous to be near a person smitten with the disease, and to touch such a person would almost cause certain death. When the pest broke out, the heathen in Alexandria thrust out of their houses every person who had the slightest sign of disease upon him and left them to starve. And they would not even bury their bodies for fear of the contagion. But the Christians, they visited one another when they were sick with the pest. And no Christian was left to die unattended. They were zealous to go and visit each other, although they knew that they should, in all probability, catch the contagion. And amongst the carcasses outside the walls of Alexandria, there was not found one single corpse of a Christian. For with sedulous care, they committed the bodies of their beloved to the earth, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection until eternal life. And the heathen said to one another, what is the meaning of this? They're, they're literally stumped. They're like, why is it that we cannot find the carcass of any Christians? And the answer went throughout all of Egypt. This is the religion of Jesus of Nazareth. For these Christians love one another. That's the type of love that Jesus has loved us. And that's the type of love that we're called to love one another with. Let's pray together. Lord, may it be true about this congregation, Ecclesia. that the outside world would look upon us and say, this is the religion of Jesus of Nazareth, for these Christians love one another. Lord, I pray that that would be the story that we have. That our love, our care, our compassion our willingness to extend grace and forgiveness, that it really would be a picture of a better family. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts with your love because it's only through your love that we can love one another. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, we would experience that. I pray that in this body, we would experience a family where care and support is given, grace is experienced, and love is the distinguishing mark of those who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Amen.